worship the Lord tonight. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. I tell you what, I get excited when I see young people being used by God, offering up their talents and their gifts, stepping out in spite of their fears and their nervousness and their anxiety. Man, I, I tell you what, I think they did a great job. I think we need to give them another hand. Hey, man. I think next time I'm going to let Alicia preach, man. I thought she was going to preach there at the beginning. She got us going. She wasn't going to let us relax tonight. <laughs> That's all right. We need that. Good exhortation. Appreciate that. Amen. Turn with me, please, to the book of Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. We're going to read Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. You better watch out. These young people are getting ready to take over something. <laughs> Amen. I am excited about the growth I've seen in these young people. and We got some that are just on the fringe of getting ready to move up into the youth group as well. And they're, they're ready and raring to go. I tell you what, we're getting ready to see some great things. Amen? Amen. Young people, continue. I hope this message helps you. It's, I think it's, it's designed specifically to speak to our young people tonight. It'll speak to everybody, I believe. But I believe God gave me a message specifically for, for you young people tonight. Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it says, But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little. Everyone say little. Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler. Everybody say ruler. Or is to be the king in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Basically what God was saying was that Bethlehem, though it was small and insignificant, was going to be the gateway that God used to break into this world and become our Savior. Amen. With the Lord's help, and we're going to pray in just a minute. With the Lord's help, we're going to preach from this title tonight. There's a king inside of you. There is a king inside of you. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we love you so much. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for the talents that these young people are using for your glory. I thank you for the greatness that I see in them and the greatness and the great things that they're going to do in the kingdom through the power of your spirit and i'm asking lord you would help us tonight to preach your word let your word go forth with authority and with power let it find a lodging place in our hearts and let it oh god bring the conviction of the holy ghost and let it encourage us to use our gifts and our talents even more so in your kingdom in jesus name we pray amen you may be seated have you ever heard of the name ursula burns ursula burns was raised by a single mother who was a Panamanian immigrant in the New York projects. She got a degree in mechanical engineering from New York University Polytechnic School of Engineering. Then she got a master's degree from Columbia. Remember, she started as the daughter living in the projects of a Panamanian immigrant. She joined Xerox in 1980 as a summer intern. And she's been with the company ever since. She went through every single step on her way to the top. And in 2010, she made history when she became the CEO of Xerox, the first African-American woman to head a Fortune 500 company. She was ranked the 22nd most powerful woman in the world by Forbes magazine in 2014. 
She started in low places and worked her way up to the top. Have you ever heard the name Harlan Sanders? Maybe you know him better as Colonel Sanders. Even if you don't recognize the name, you certainly recognize the logo and the three letters that the man is associated with, K-F-C. I don't know about you, but I like some fried chicken. Colonel Sanders was a native of Indiana. He worked a wide variety of jobs. He ran a number of businesses throughout his life, but all through his life, some incident or just plain bad luck always seemed to hamper him. He was a lawyer. Did you know that Colonel Sanders was originally a lawyer? But he lost his job as a lawyer after he got into a brawl with his own client in court. He started a restaurant. He started a motel that were both destroyed by fire. And then after he rebuilt them, the start of the Second World War forced him to go out of business. And then finally, after a lifetime of setbacks... Colonel Sanders opened the first KFC franchise in 1952. He was in his 60s by then. But both Ursula Burns and Colonel Sanders started with little to nothing. They were not born with a silver spoon in their hands. Yet they both achieved greatness in a sense because they both believed that there was greatness within themselves. And you may look at yourself tonight, young people, you may feel like you have little or nothing to offer, but I came to tell you tonight that there is a king or a queen inside of you. Amen. If you've been baptized in Jesus' name, if you've been filled with the Holy Ghost, uh, then there literally is a king that is living inside of you. He is the king of kings. Uh, He is the Lord of lords. Can somebody just shout his name tonight? Jesus. And because he lives in you, not only is he the king that is living inside of you, but he also has great things in store for you. And my Bible tells us that we'll be kings and priests with him. Amen. You may not have all the talent in the world. You may not feel like you can do great things. You may feel as if you'll never end up doing great things. Your grades in school might have told you that you're never going to be successful. People may have been telling you that you don't look good enough or you don't have the right skin color or you don't have the right attitude or you don't have the right, uh, uh, the right background to see a king or see success or see great things happening in your life. But that is exactly what Jesus wants to do through you, in you by you and for you he wants to bring forth a king out of you because he has great things in store for you can i get an amen tonight jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11 says for i know the thoughts that i think towards you see we need to stop worrying about the thoughts the world thinks about us and worry about what jesus thinks about us amen I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected. And in other words, God has a plan for you, and it's a good plan, and he's got great things in store for you, plans to prosper you, plans to help you grow, plans about a very special, special purpose that he wants to bring about. Listen, you need to understand tonight that God does not do small things. Amen. Come on, somebody. He operates in the realm of the miraculous. God operates in the realm of the impossible. He operates in the realm not of smallness, but of greatness. And if you will give your life to him, and if you'll fully surrender to him, he will bring great things to pass in your life. Amen. In our text, we read that he would be ruler in Israel. 
that the king who was going to be over Israel would come from Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem was, in essence, nothing. It, it was barely even on the map when it came to population and notoriety among the Jews. Now, right now, Bethlehem is really popular because Jesus was born there. But at the time, Bethlehem was basically nothing. Some of you tonight are not what you would call popular. You're not what you would call famous. You don't have that many followers on Instagram or Twitter. You don't have as many Facebook friends as some other people do. Your Snapchat isn't as popular as many others. Maybe you're not rich tonight. Uh, uh, you're not, you may not be the smartest in your class. Uh, maybe you're not being voted in your class to be the most likely to succeed. Maybe you're not the fastest or the strongest kid on your sports team. Maybe you're not the best player. Maybe you're not the homecoming queen or the, home, the homecoming king or the homecoming queen. But that does not mean that God cannot use you. Come on, somebody. That doesn't mean that you cannot achieve greatness in the kingdom of God. For that matter, none of that means that you will not experience success and greatness in whatever secular job you have. Just because your grades weren't what you thought they ought to be or what somebody else thought they ought to be, just because you don't have the label as the smartest kid in your class or the most popular kid in your class or, or the one that everybody expects to succeed, that does not mean that you cannot achieve greatness in life and in the kingdom of God. Amen? Because you can, you can have both, by the way. You can be successful in a secular job and you can be successful in the kingdom of God. Amen? If you, as long as you put God first. There is greatness inside of you. There is a king inside of you. And if you'll give your life to Jesus, if you'll allow him to order your steps, if you'll live in obedience to him, he will cause you to have great success. He will bless the work of your hands wherever he leads you, wherever he guides you, whatever career you find yourself in. He will bless the work of your hands if you will put him first. Bethlehem, you may not be populous. You may not be famous. You may not be prosperous. You may not be the city that everybody's talking about. But there is a king that is coming from you. Listen, in those days, there were thousands and thousands of people living in Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, it looks like there were probably about 25,000 people living in Jerusalem at the time of Jesus' birth. And that was a big city at the time. But only about 300 people lived in Bethlehem during that same time. So why would the king not be born in Jerusalem? Why would God choose Bethlehem, a little village with 300 people and not a lot of money, as the place where he would manifest himself in flesh and be born into this world? There must have been some great scriptural significance about Bethlehem, right? Well, not really. <laughs> Unless you count the fact that David was born there and Jesus was of the line of David and David was in many senses a type of Christ. But, you know, Bethlehem means the house of bread and Jesus is the bread of life. So I guess you could look at it a little bit like that. But that's really not what it's all about. What it's really about is that God chose something small, quiet, and out of the way to bring about something that would change the course of history. God chose lowly Bethlehem so that no city could boast of its great merit in bringing the Savior into this world. The only thing Bethlehem could boast itself in would be the mercy of God for choosing that little village. 
Bethlehem was so lowly that they didn't have enough hotels to keep everybody there, to lodge everybody that was coming to be counted in the census. There were no five-star hotels. There were no all-inclusive resorts. There was no amusement parks. Six Flags was definitely not over Bethlehem. Come on, somebody. God is not impressed with our bigness. He's not impressed with our popularity. He's not interested in how many subscribers we have on YouTube or how many likes we get on our Facebook status. He doesn't look to see how many comments you got on that tweet or how many responses you got to your Snapchat. He's not interested in all of that. As a matter of fact, he is in exact opposition to this world of social media. Now, I'm not saying that Facebook and Twitter and Snapchat and all those things are wrong. I got, I got some of them myself. I think it's okay. There's nothing wrong with it if we, if we use it for, in the right way. But he is in exact opposition to this world of social media because in social media, it's, it's designed to attract attention to yourself, to your own accomplishments, to your strengths, to your beauty. But God does everything to bring about his glory. He does everything to ensure that he gets all the praise. He's worthy of all of our praise. He's not going to try to highlight your accomplishments. Come on, he's worried about what you accomplished for him in his kingdom. And my Bible says that your gift will make room for you. The gift that he gives you when you submit it and put it into his hands. I came to tell you tonight that there is a king inside of you. He takes pride in using the lowly and the meek and the mild. He takes pride in using a stutterer named Moses to be the deliverer of Israel and bring them out of Egypt. He gets a sense of accomplishment in using a little known man who was threshing wheat in the dark of night in secret so that nobody would see him and turning him into a mighty man of valor. His name was Gideon and he slayed thousands thousand of Midianites with just 300 men there's a king inside of you David was a little shepherd boy he was little he was of little to no consequence in the grand scheme of King Saul's Israel he was of little to no significance in his own family he was just the one who tended the sheep on the backside of the desert while his brothers went off to war to claim their fame and their glory, fighting for their country. David was so insignificant that when God decided to anoint a new king over Israel, after he had rejected Saul, that even his own father forgot about him when the prophet asked to see all his sons. Samuel was supposed to anoint a new king of the sons of Jesse. And one by one, Jesse brought his sons before the prophet. And look at what happened in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 6 through 11. It came to pass when they were come that he, that Samuel the prophet, looked on Eliab. He was the eldest of Samuel's sons. And he said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But then look at what happens in verse 7. But the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as men seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel and said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. He still hadn't found a heart that was in the right condition. 
Then he made, Jesse made, in verse 9, made Shammah to pass by. And he said, neither hath the Lord chosen this. He still hasn't found a man after his own heart. In verse 10, again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, the Lord hath not chosen these These don't have the right heart. These haven't been worshiping me. These haven't turned their heart toward me. These don't have their heart in the right place. Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest. Notice this. And behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. One by one, Jesse's sons were brought before the prophet, but not one of them was chosen by God. Samuel asked if there were any more, and look at Jesse's response. Put it back at verse 11, please, Eleazar. Look at Jesse's response. This is David's father. And he said, there remaineth yet the youngest, and he keepeth the sheep. There's just the little one. There's just the keeper of the sheep. There's just that lowly shepherd boy. Notice that David's own father doesn't even call him by name. As a matter of fact, his own father forgot to call him to come before the prophet when all of his sons were called to stand before Samuel. Some of you might feel like tonight you're nobody. You might feel like nobody's ever going to recognize you or notice you. Some of you feel forgotten tonight. You feel left out. You feel like maybe you've been forsaken, rejected, and neglected. But let me tell you something. There is an anointing that is designed just for you. There is an oil that will only flow when you step before the man of God. There is a calling that has your name on it. So forget about all those who forgot about you. Don't worry about all those who just just passed you over and just focus on Jesus. He is the anointed one that has an anointing for you. He is the prophet that will anoint you. He is the king that has a plan for you. There is a king inside of you. David was just faithfully serving his father, tending the sheep. But he was also faithfully worshiping and serving God. While he may have been forgotten by his earthly father, he had not been forgotten by his heavenly father. Come on, somebody. While David may have been hidden and kept out of sight from the crowds and from the outside world and maybe even from his own father, he was never out of sight of his heavenly father. God's eye was always upon him because his heart was after God's heart. As a matter of fact, God said David was a man after his own heart. David's only desire, his only concern was to be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. He didn't care about kingships. He didn't care about anointings he didn't care about positions he didn't care about titles he didn't care about glory he didn't care about he didn't care about fame all David wanted to do was be a worshiper and draw close to God and find the heart of God there was a king inside of David because of that listen you need to understand that just like God's eye was on David. His eye is on you. He sees you 
so you just keep on worshiping. He sees you. So you just keep serving him. He sees you because so you just keep on being faithful to God. And he will always be faithful to you. Young people, you need to understand tonight. God's got something special for you. Amen. There is an anointing that God has specifically for you. There is a, a, a vask of, of oil that has your name on it. God says, I want to open up that anointing, and I want to pour it over you. And it doesn't matter who else comes under that. It's not going to flow because it's not for them. There's an anointing with your name on it. It won't come on me. There's an anoint- it won't come on your parents. It's, with, it's got your name on it. Your anointing is for you. Your gift is for you. Your calling is for you, and nobody else can do it. What God has designed for you, nobody else can do, Austin. You're the only one that can do it. Harold, you are the only one that can do what God has designed you to do. William, you're the only one that can do what God called you to do. Leilani and Delissa and Leilani and Alicia, look, God has a special anointing upon you, and only you can receive that anointing and allow that anointing to flow through you because it is for you. There is a king, there is a queen inside of you. So don't worry about what the people are saying. Don't worry about when it feels like you're forgotten. People may let you down, but Jesus will never let you down. People may forget about you, but Jesus never forgets you. His eye is on the sparrow. I know he watches over That oil would not flow on Eliab, the oldest son. That oil would not flow on Abinadab. That oil would not flow on Shammah. That oil would not flow on the rest of David's brothers because that anointing had David's name on it. And look at what happened in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 12 and verse 13 when David stepped before the prophet. And he sent and brought him in. Now he, David, was ruddy and with all of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, Anoint him, for this is he. I wonder when's going to be that day when you step before the Lord and God says, Arise, anoint him. Arise, anoint her. Arise, for this is he. Arise, for this is she. Then Samuel took the horn of oil. And anointed him, anointed David in the midst of his brethren. In the midst of those people that forgot about him. In the midst of those people that made fun of him. In the midst of those people that kicked him and, and, and gave him all the dirty jobs. In the midst of all of those people. God anointed David. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. I came to tell you tonight there is a king inside of you. There is an anointing for you. There is a place for you in the kingdom of God. You don't have to look in the world to find your place. There's a place for you right here in the house of God. And it's a place of honor. And it's a place of glory. And it's a place that God wants to show his power through 
you. You want to achieve greatness? Find that greatness right here in the house of God. Find that greatness right here in the kingdom of God. There is no greatness that you can find in this world that will ever satisfy you the way the greatness of God will satisfy you. There is no greatness in the world that can compare to the greatness that you will find when you submit your life to the Lord. Look, the devil's going to tell you there's a kingdom for you. He's going to show you many crowns. He's going to show you the crown of fame. He's going to show you the crown of wealth. He's going to show you the crown of popularity. and He's going to show you the kingdom of the party scene. He's going to try to show you all these different things. He's going to try to show you the crown of worldly success. He's going to try to show you the kingdoms of this world. But he's not going to show you the rejection that will surely come afterwards. He will never show you the downer that comes after the upper. He will never show you that once he's used you up, he'll throw you away and leave you to the worlds and buzzards of this life. But if you'll follow Jesus, you will not only find the king inside of you, but you will also find the joys and pleasures evermore. You'll find joy unspeakable. And full of glory. You'll find treasures in heaven that far outweigh any earthly treasures. You'll find a crown that is everlasting and incorruptible. And it will endure forever. A crown that is that once it is bestowed upon you can never ever be taken away. Fame can be taken away. Popularity can be taken away. Wealth can be swept away. All of these things, worldly success can crumble right in your hands. But the crown of life, no man can ever take away from you and one day in a moment in the twinkling of an eye you will be changed and you will be like him and this corruptible flesh will take on incorruptible and you will walk on streets of gold see further glory that's eternal in heaven with Jesus but hell is full of people who chased after the kingdoms of this world Hell is full of people who chased after crowns of fame and riches. Hell is full of people that chased after the crowns of stardom and social acceptance. Crowns of popularity. Crowns of temporal satisfaction. Crowns that promised so much and delivered so little. But here's the other trick of the devil. If he can't get you to chase after his kingdom and after the crown that he places before you, then he's going to try his very best to get you to doubt the crown that Jesus has for you. He's going to do his level best to discourage you and make you doubt God's love and make you doubt God's word, make you doubt the promises that you find in the word of God. But do not let the devil trick you or deceive you. There is a king inside of you. As soon as David, the worshiper, as soon as David, the servant, came before the prophet, the oil began to flow. The oil that had David's name on it. The anointing that was for him and him alone. To bring about the king that was inside of David. Mark Lowry is a very famous Christian comedian. He also wrote one of the most famous Christmas songs of our time entitled Mary Did You Know? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? 
Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? This child that you've delivered will soon deliver you. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would give sight to a blind man? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would calm a storm with his hand? Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? And when you kiss your little baby, you have kissed the face of God. The blind will see, the deaf will hear, the dead will live again. The lame will leap, the dumb will speak, the praises of the Lamb. Mary, did you know that your baby boy is Lord of all creation? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day rule the nations? Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect Lamb? This sleeping child you're holding is the great I am. I love this song, but I, I get a little annoyed at it sometimes because actually Mary did know most of those things because Gabriel told her so. What was astonishing to Mary was not who the baby was that was inside of her, although I'm sure that was, that was astonishing and that was overwhelming in and of itself. But what was astonishing to Mary was that God would choose her to be the mother of Jesus. What was it about Mary? She wasn't immaculate. Mary wasn't someone who was holier than anybody else. She was just a normal little 12-year-old girl. She might have been 15, but probably not much older than that. Most Jewish girls in those days got married between the ages of 12 and 15, and 15 was considered an old maid by then. Not only that, she wasn't rich. She was a little peasant girl from Nazareth. From Nazareth, where as the parable went in those days, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? She was engaged to a carpenter. Definitely not Bill Gates. Definitely not some king. He wasn't going to bring her fame or fortune. Mary was a nobody. Yet God chose her. What was it about Mary? Why was there a king inside of her? I think the key is found when you read the song that she sang in Luke chapter 2. It's often called the Magnificat, if I pronounce that right. I love reading that. We don't have time to read through it tonight. But you see something very special when you read Luke chapter 2 and you read the song when Mary says, My soul doth magnify the Lord. When you begin to read that, she talks about how God has taken those of low estate and have exalted them. How God took those who were oppressed and, and how he made them and lifted them up. That was in direct lineation with the Old Testament law and the prophecies concerning the Messiah and what the Messiah was going to do for them. What's unique about that is that most girls of those days did not get an education in the scriptures. They were mostly trained to keep the home. Remember, by the time they were 12, they were probably going to be married off and they were supposed to start bearing children and keeping house. I'm not trying to be... Um, uh, you know, some sort of, um, you know, macho dude or whatever, right? And, and some sort of sexist guy. That's the way it was in that culture. There wasn't much time for a young girl to train in the law. That was usually reserved for the boys. But Mary had a very thorough knowledge of the scriptures. 
She understood many psalms and prophecies that maybe even some of the men didn't get. Mary wasn't rich. She wasn't famous. She wasn't from high society. She wasn't from a noteworthy clan or family in Israel. But she took the time to learn about God. And because she draw near to God, God said, I'm going to draw near to her. My eye is upon her. And God was taking notice all along. Every time you pick up your Bible to read it, God is noticing. Every time you kneel your, on your knees and you begin to pray, God is taking notice. Every time you come to the house of God, he is taking notice. Every time you sing a song of praise unto him, God is taking notice. Every time you take a moment to acknowledge him, every time you, do, you come and clean the church, or every time you come and help out on the grounds, every time you go on outreach, every time you teach in a Sunday school class, every time you do anything to, to, to worship God or to, to work in the kingdom God is noticing what you are doing so when it came time to come into this world to send forth his son God remembered Mary the little damsel who loved to study the law and because of her love for God and her faithfulness to his word God chose to put a king inside of Mary and the same will be true for us we need not worry about social status we need not worry about wealth or fame etc but we simply need to seek the Lord because there is a king inside of each and every one of us the disciples were fishermen tax collectors even zealots and revolutionaries a hodgepodge of insignificant men and yet Jesus called them by name. And they turned their world upside down because they allowed Jesus to release through them the king that was inside of them. Saul of Tarsus was the last man you would ever expect to be saved, much less become perhaps the greatest missionary the world has ever known. Saul of Tarsus was a Pharisee of Pharisees, a scribe of scribes, a scholar of scholars. He had the greatest teacher of the law of his time as his personal individual mentor. He was the head of his class. He was voted most likely to succeed. His claim to fame was that he persecuted Christians. His claim to fame was that he was the one that held the coats of all the men who stoned Stephen for preaching Jesus. Yet one day, on the road to Damascus, Saul of Tarsus had an encounter with Jesus. And in that encounter, Saul realized who Jesus was. He realized the error of his ways. He repented of his evil deeds. And Saul became known as the Apostle Paul. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. Paul the Apostle wrote over half the New Testament as we know it today. There are many who called Paul their spiritual father. Paul raised up more pastors and preachers and church leaders than anyone else we see in Scripture. He started more churches than anybody I know. There was a king inside of Saul of Tarsus, a sinner, a persecutor of Christians. Look at what Paul wrote about himself, though. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 9 through 10, For I am the least... Of the apostles, he wrote more verses than any other apostle wrote, but he's the least 
of the apostles that am not meet. In other words, I'm not fit. I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But look at verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. Because Paul saw that God had put a king inside of him. And he wanted to let that king come out. And he was not about to let the grace of God that was bestowed upon him be in vain. But I, look at this, I labored more abundantly than they all. He was like the basketball player who doesn't have all the talent in the world that has to get to be the first one at the gym and the last one to leave the gym, and he's got to shoot a 1,000 shots a day. And there's some guys out there, like, you know, that don't have to practice and don't have to do all that, and yet they're still really good and talented. They can jump higher than everybody else, and they're faster and stronger than everybody else. But Saul was saying, look, I'm like the little guy who can barely even touch the net when I jump. I'm like the guy that has to work really, really, really hard just to be able to get some play in time. That's how Saul saw himself. I labored more abundantly. I worked harder than all the other apostles. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Aren't you thankful for the grace of God? Paul said he was the least of the apostles. He was the bottom of the barrel. And yet God still used him. Look, you might feel like the bottom of the barrel. Maybe you feel like you're never going to amount to anything, but if you hear anything tonight, I want you to hear this. There's a king or a queen inside of you. Maybe you feel like all your sins and all the bad stuff that you've ever done is going to hold you back and never allow you to be used by God. But there is still a king inside of you of you. If God can use Saul of Tarsus and turn him into the Apostle Paul, I I present to you the man who fought against Jesus and the gospel message with everything that was within him, and yet God saw a king inside of Saul. Would you stand with me, please? He sees a king inside of you. So God, because he saw that king inside of Saul, he knocked him off his high horse. He sent him to Damascus, where he sent a man named Ananias to pray over him. And there in Damascus, under the guidance of Ananias, Paul repented of his sins, was baptized in Jesus' name, and received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Under the the mentorship of Barnabas, Saul was able to develop a ministry. And And by the time that Paul the apostle was done, he was converting even the jail keepers and the guards of the prisons in which he was sentenced to stay. For preaching the gospel. Jesus saw a king inside a sinner like Saul. And he sees a king inside of you. A lot has been said in society about making a difference in our world. A lot has been said about leaving a legacy. Having a good name and all of those things. If you really want to make a difference, if you want to leave a lasting legacy, if you really want to achieve greatness by making a difference in this world, get close to Jesus. Let him show you the king that is inside of you. Stop listening to the voices that are telling you you'll never amount to anything. Stop listening to the voices trying to tell you that you have nothing to offer.
Stop listening to the voices that tell you that you've been too great of a sinner. Because there is a king.